Welcome to our podcast, An Ounce of Prevention with Women in Distress. As they say, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And that's what this show is all about, building awareness to end domestic violence. My son was so scared for me. He said, Mom, I'm not scared for myself. I'm scared for you. Just imagine a 15-year-old boy actually gave up his room to sleep in my bed every night for a whole year and a half because of fear of what his father might do to me. I've had many women come up and say, you guys helped me at a time that I really needed and that they can come back and help other people. You can make an impact and that's what we're trying to do. So you may know already that March is Women's History Month. For this episode, I sat down for a conversation with a survivor, Cher, as she told her story of experiencing abuse in her marriage. I heard Cher's story for the first time at our Women's Empowerment event back in January. That night, she wore a skirt. In a powerful moment during her talk, she shared with all of us gathered that the act of being able to choose and to wear a skirt, something her abuser didn't let her do, defined what it meant for her to feel empowered, how it represented the progress and success she has made in finding her own voice. I also invited Maddie from our development team here at Women in Distress to be part of our conversation too. Inspired by Cher's perspective, she developed and launched our Women's History Month social media campaign, hashtag kiss domestic violence goodbye. Check it out on our Instagram, at Women in Distress, and learn why it's important in our conversation here. Let's listen. So I want to start first with you, Cher. Um, one, thank you for your willingness and your real generosity in sharing your experience with our listeners. Can you just start by telling us a little bit about your story and how you ended up getting involved with Women in Distress? Well, um, I've actually been going through, I've gone through, uh-uh, sorry, let me repeat that because that's in the past. I've, I went through 20, this year is going to be 28 years of marriage, 24 years of it, I must say, has all been abused. The other four years was when he was in prison. And I have gone through abuse of every form and fashion with this person, sexual, physical, emotional, mental, financial, the whole nine years. Mm. And the sad part of it is with this, I stayed, stayed in it because of fear. It was mostly fear, nothing else. And um, a person who is not a, a domestic survivor, abuse survivor will never understand. Some people are like, why stay there so long? Why didn't you get out? Because it's easier said than done. Especially when you have someone who keeps threatening you. Oh, if you do this, or if you tell this, or you talk, you know, or, you know, and they monitor your time. Normally when I'm going, when I'm coming home from work, if it takes me, supposed to take me 15 minutes to get home, and God forbid I have traffic and it takes me 20 minutes. Oh, when I get home, oh, I never hear the end of it. it it's, it's just has gone so bad from one extreme to the other in, in so many areas that it's unbelievable. Can you talk a little bit about, because I think a lot of people don't understand that with DV, right? They, 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 they have trouble uh, really wrapping their heads around the extremes. And I think it can help sometimes to kind of walk them through how it gets there, right? It doesn't happen overnight. So can you talk a little bit about kind of the early parts of your relationship and, and the first, like when you, when it started to become abusive, what that felt like and what that looked like? Well, to be honest with you, because all right, I'm from Jamaica and I was a travel agent at the time. So I used to go back and forth. I met him here on one of my 
trip back and forth. And um, when I was asked, when he asked me to marry him as a travel agent, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can. But let me get back home first. I'll go, I have to go back home first. And then we can, you know, this was in March. And I said, okay, I, let me go back home first and um, get everything situated in terms of my job. And, you know, at the time I had a son, it was about 13, 12, somewhere around there. Anyway, and he said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, we can do that. But before you go, um, I want us to at least get the marriage certificate. I'm like, okay, keep in mind, I'm still naive. I, I know nothing about this country. Still, everything is still new. I'm just a visitor back and forth. So he said, so we said, okay. So we went to the courthouse or wherever we to get the marriage certificate. That was the very beginning of it where it all started because when we went there and um, we were applying for the, the certificate and then this, this, her, this clerk came out and he said, oh, the justice of the peace is here. We can get you married for $20. I am telling you, that's the first and the last time I've ever seen this man pull out $20 so fast. And <laughs> I tell people up to this very day, if someone asks me, did you say I do? What did you say? I don't know what I said, if I ever said anything, because everything went, it happened so fast. Yeah, you really it got just, blindsided. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, what happened? So I walked in to a courthouse to get a master's, get a walk out married. From then and there, it actually started getting back. Because when we first moved in together and it started where, um, if you say something and I'm like, what are you talking about? He would just get mad. Why are you acting like you don't know what you're talking about? What are you doing? And, and then he just, he would throw things. He used to throw, I remember he used to get the beer bottles and he would throw them against the wall against my ears. I'm like, and I remember there was a neighbor on the, uh, where, where we're living. She was living three, like two doors down. And she would hear him carrying on like this every single day. And when he left, she would come over and she said, why do you stay? Why do you need to do something? I'm like, at the time I was now pregnant with my daughter. Didn't know what to do. But then um, I remember my mom came visiting and she put my side, my mom aside one day. I didn't even know this until after. And she was complaining to my mom, you need to take her, take her back home. She's being abused. He's doing that. He's going to kill her. It was just bad from there. He used to hit me. And he used to say, if you do this or if you say this to anyone, and he would threaten me. Most of my life was spent being threatened to the point where um he would say, oh, if you um, report this or if you file a restraining order, um, I will get to you before the, before the officers get to you because restraining order is just a piece of paper. And he drives that fear in me over the years to the point where even when we went, when I, if I went to work or somewhere and come back and there's a news, something on the news where the, um, a spouse killed his wife, but whatever, he would actually, if I'm not home, he would actually tape it. And when I get home, he would have me sit down, listen to it and say, oh, that's what like you get when you cross men. And the sad part of it, he went away for three and a half years. And even you, you believe that, oh, God, now he's gone. Now it's my time to move. Now it's my time to move on. Believe it or not, he stayed where he was and still 
drive fear in me that I still was afraid to go because he yeah. used to have his sister come over at all hours of night just to see what I'm up to. And the sister would keep going back and forth with him. And, you know, and he's like, he would call me and he's like, oh, if you do this, if you do that, I don't want no man, no, man, no, I don't want my daughter calling no man, dad. And keep in mind, I don't have to be out there to get you because I have all these people that can get you because I born and it was just. What a system of control and that intimidation. I think that's what a lot of people don't understand about DV is it doesn't, even when you leave, right? That doesn't stop it because it's not your fault yeah. that it's happening to you. It's this person exactly. who's finding new was, ways. When my daughter went away to college, he had a ball. Because my son, who was actually about 13 at the time, 13, 14, my son was so scared for me. He said, mom, I'm not scared for myself. I'm scared for you. Just imagine a 15-year-old boy who has, has his own room actually gave up his room to sleep in my bed every night for a whole year and a half because of fear of what his father might do to me. That's when I realized the extent of how this abuse affected my children. You know, so it's, it's, it's fearful. Yeah, absolutely. But, That's a really intense situation. And thank, thank you for walking us through it. I know it, you know, yeah. it's hard to talk about. And, um, well, that's the yeah. other thing too, is I think that people, when we talk about fear, they don't realize the extent of it, like in the extent of how it affected your whole family. And why don't you leave? I'm afraid he's going to kill me because that's not a crazy fear. We see that happen. He showed you videos like that level of intimidation. I don't think anyone can really fathom that until they hear it. And we have statistics, you know, we look through all kinds of statistics that say like these deaths happen after a restraining order was denied after nothing happened to the abuser or those statistics, lethality goes up when you leave. So all these people saying, why don't you leave? Why don't you, this is why I could feel that. And I hope everyone can feel that too, because they're not just words. They're not empty threats. They're very, very real. And you're living in a constant, constant fear. I actually have a sister who actually, as we have not spoken, she has not spoken to me in years because she keeps saying, why don't you leave? You, you can leave. You can get up and leave. Oh, you're, all you're doing is putting your children in, in harm's way. You are, you know, and she literally stopped talking to me. I mean, we have not spoken for years because she believed that I purposely just sit here in this relationship because I don't want to leave. And, you know, that's the sad part of it. You know, family members, they, they don't understand. They're like, why are you there? You can leave. No, it's more than one meet the eyes. If you can talk about that, I think that was one of the things I wanted to ask you too, um, kind of coming from somebody that's gone through it. And some folks in your story who, like you just said, really misunderstood yeah. and even re-victimized you. So thinking about yes. what you went through in your experiences and getting help, what do you wish others in the community did know about domestic violence? As you said, I'll bring something to you because I remember when I had, when I did my um, book signing event, my neighbors came to the book signing event. And I remember she called me a few days after in tears. And she was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I said, why? She said, I can't believe I'm this close to you, living so close to you and did not know that all this was going on. And I understand. I said, I said, it's not your fault. It's because when he's out, I promise you, when we're 
outside the house. My wife, this, my wife, that. Oh, I love my wife, my wife, my wife, my wife. And it's everything about his wife when he's outside the doors. We're whether we're on the street, we're we're in yes. church. We oh yeah, mm-hmm. he's a, he, he showed that people thought we were the just perfect couple because yeah. he would never show anything other than that outside of the home. But behind these doors, so it's a different story. I think that's a really good point too. Is the the amount of abusers that there are in this world. They, they don't have a type. They don't look a certain way. They don't talk a certain way. It's It affects every every class, every race, every gender. You don't know. Yeah. And people put on really good shows. Oh, yeah. Mine was a great one. Hmm. Yes, it is. And what, so what would you say then, too, to anyone who's listening who might be going through this now or have, might have had an experience that was similar to yours? One, I'm hoping... First and foremost, that anyone that is going through, find someone to talk to because our abusers really rely upon our silence to keep us where they want us. And if you can find one, two person to trust, to share your story with that, you know, to check upon you, because I've gone to the point where I had friends who would call me, hey, just checking in, whatever. And as soon as my phone ring, you would be trying to listen to what it is, you know. And my friend, we, we have gone to a point where I'll just talk casual, and she's like, "Oh, you got company?" I, oh yeah, yeah, girl, you know, we, you know. So, so not to let it be known, and you know. But if you can find one, and that's my my biggest prior that each person that is going through this, if they can find one or two person to trust that will check upon them just you know hey girl we're doing just check upon them especially if you don't see them for a day or two or hear from them check upon them because that helps it helps also what i love about women in distress is that they they have this um their outreach program so you don't actually have to be in house you can get help by going there and getting someone to talk to. I mean, if if you have to say you're going to work and if you have to leave work early just to get to that outreach program or, oh, I'm going to something, but to get the help. And that is one of the things that I love that women in distress now have that outreach program. So, and a lot of people I know, the fear is that Dying not to leave and not to go there. And because they don't know they, you know, what's gonna happen while they're there. And after my time here is finished, where do I go? What's gonna happen next? They do not know that. But with the outreach, it makes a big difference. Absolutely. And I think that's something a lot of people don't realize. People think a domestic violence center is only a shelter, right? But it is important to know that we have outreach services, we have legal services. And I will, right. uh, just for our listeners, I will mention the hotline number now. It's also, we got some resources at the end of the episode, but um, for those of you that are yes. listening that may be going through something like Cher has gone through or concerned even about a friend, you can call us 24-7 at 954-761-1133. Um, and, you know, outside of uh, spreading the news about our services and, and being willing to tell your story, how how do you hope your story can impact others? How, and, and what empowerment, how are you feeling empowered right now? I know we were talking a little bit before I started recording, um, right. but I think it's also important for folks to know that that it can get better and, and that there's safety yes. out there. Yes, there is. There is safety out there. And 
what I'm hoping that people will get from me is that they look and I say, okay, if she make it out, then hopefully I can make it out. And um, I just actually just want to tell people that don't be silent. That's my biggest, biggest takeaway from it. Please do not be silent because that's what kept me in my situation for so long because I was silent. And not only that, I wasn't allowed to have friends. Whenever he actually would go out and find people to, oh, I, oh, I found this person. I was talking to this person. Oh, I think she can be your friend. He would actually go out to find people to be my friend. Oh my gosh. She couldn't even make her own friendships. Could not be my own wow. friend. So when he went away to prison and came back, and then I had made my own friends, he was very upset <laughs> that I had made my own friends. And oh, this person shouldn't have taught, you know, because again, as I said, being new to the country, there's a lot of things I did not know. So um, being having one of my closest friends, which we have been friends over 25 years now, and she taught me a lot of things. She was like, you like, I, will, I should be the one to teach you about um, our country and that. I should be the one. And it's just this constant control in every form and fashion. I mean, the finances, I mean, because, you know, you're married and you say, oh, this is the way to go. So you're supposed to have joint accounts. And um, what you would do is because as soon as my 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 paycheck is deposited in the account by midnight, which, of course, by the time I'm sleeping, you you actually stay awake until my deposit hit my account. And then you'd get up, go to the ATM, withdraw every dollar. So I'd get up thinking that I have money after working up the whole week, realize that the money is gone. He always uses phrase also. It's like, oh, one day I'm going to snap. Oh, you're going to get me on the wrong side. I'm going to snap. And the children are going to be without both parents. And, you know, and it, oh I mean, just a constant threat. And when he held me with, you know, at my throat with a knife in the kitchen at 530 in the morning. Oh, I'm going to kill you. For what? I don't know where you were. Because he wasn't home all night. I do not know where he was coming from because I've stopped asking questions along. And as a matter of fact, as I tell people, we were just existing in the same space for about 10 years. Because all communica- I, I stopped all communication because it was just that bad. So we were just existing and he didn't want to go uh, because it's my house. And he said, he's not going. And so when the police came, when the incident happened and I had to call the police and they took him away, then that, you know, I, I'm like, this is it. And I did not wait the same. Uh, they took him away the same day. As a matter of fact, as the police was driving out of the complex with him, I got in my car and was driving to the courthouse. I did not want to wait to think about it or anything for fear or anything to come within my mind yeah. to say, no, you can't. So I, I got on it right away. I went to find my restraining order and to God be the glory. Oh. Everything else is, yeah. Man, and that's so, that's so intense to be able to have that even frame of mind or that urgency to be able to act on it. You know, I yes, think, yes, yes, wow, yes. That, that's, that's amazing that you were able to do that. And I know now, you know, you're, you're doing a lot of, a lot of really great stuff and you're here telling your yeah. story and I'm, yes, I'm really yes. happy that you're in the place that you are now. And I hope things yes. continue to go well for you and your children. Thank you. Thank you. Yes.
Um, and Maddie, I want to I want to talk with you a little bit about because um, I know you were actually the one that put me in touch with Share and and kind of organized some of this. So I'm, I'm happy that we are we're doing this. Uh, but of course, survivors like like Share are why we do this work. So what do you want the community to know about the impact of Wood's work um, to with survivors like Sharon? And what how can the community support Wood? I think I want the community to know that. You know, we talk about the starfish story. We have our 16th annual starfish luncheon coming up. The premise of that is, if you haven't heard it, a little daughter is throwing her the starfish on the, the sand back in the ocean. And her grandma stops her. She's like, you can't possibly save all of them. She's like, no, but I can save this one. And I think when we talk about impact, that one life is huge. Saving one life means something. And you're not only saving one life. Cher got out. She got happy and healthy. You saved her kids' lives. You saved her her family's members' lives, uh, her, her friends, her coworkers. So helping one person, doing one donation, doing whatever you can, it makes an impact on our community in so many ways. Um, so I think I just want to say, like, you meet these survivors, you see the faces. They're not just statistics. Is that the statistics are awful. The one in three women, one in four men. So the impact that we do is we're doing everything we can to change those numbers, to help those peoples and to save as many people as we can and help empower them to save themselves. You know, we, we only do so much. It's the survivor's work and picking up that phone, getting that, um, the referral, it matters. And it affects more than just one person when one person is saved. Um, probably my favorite thing about working here is meeting all the amazing people, especially survivors, but I'll see it at our donation drives. You know, we don't have to have a long conversation, but I've had many women come up and say, you guys helped me at a time that I really needed and that they can come back and help other people. You know, you can make an impact and that's what we're trying to do. So ways that you can support WID would be coming to our events, sponsoring our events. Um, we love financial contributions. Our survivors don't pay for anything. Um, we love welcome baskets. We have a thrift store, so you can donate or shop there. There's a lots of different ways, and all of them are so, so important because we wouldn't be anything without the community that we have. Absolutely. And I, I love that you mentioned, and, and Cher, I think you mentioned it too, about this word empowerment, right? And that is so central to what we do and the impact that we make. Um, and even through, like you said, all those ways you can support us with donations and thrift store, it all comes back to that idea of being able to empower survivors. Um, and of course, we're we're in March right now. That's when this episode is is launching. Um, and that's, that's part of why we're here. And March is Women's History Month. So can you tell us about how WID is recognizing Women's History Month this year? With the help of Cher, we came up with this idea when she spoke for us at our Women's Empowerment Forum, she let the audience know that she felt empowered and she bought a skirt and she rocked it. But the crowd erupted. I know I was screaming because I think everyone, many people have felt that even on a small scale of people trying to change how we look. I've had ex-boyfriends try to, you know, judge my clothing and make it fit into what they want. Um and so Cher, she's like, I got the skirt. And when I just started here, I had a woman call and she has her lipstick company because she said, I can wear red lipstick. Um, so what we wanted to do is draw attention to that and empower people to wear the lipstick, buy the skirt, do whatever makes you feel beautiful and don't let anyone tell you anything different. Um, so that's what we just kind of want to bring awareness to it and also 
another thing of impact that I hope we accomplish out of this is prevention. Um, as much as we can point out the little red flags that end up not being little at all, life-threatening flags. So if we can point that out and say, hey, have you heard that from your partner? Yeah, that's not healthy. We should talk about it. Or, hey, I went through this and now I'm out and look at me now and I feel great. We just want people to feel beautiful, feel empowered, and to make sure that they know that they have that power and they have the choices and no one should ever get to take that away. That's beautiful. I love that. I really, again, want to thank you both for your time and for your openness. I've certainly learned a lot listening to you. And um, I know hopefully a lot of our listeners will, will come away from this conversation with a lot more knowledge and a lot more power. So thank you both so much for your time. And let me just say this before you go. The very first event I did in Weston um, at that luncheon, I had a woman, and these are women who are powerful in their own rights, came up to me and like, I've gone through this. I went through this. I don't know if I could ever tell my story. She said, thank you for speaking for me. Thank you for speaking for us. I always say if I reach even just one person, then, you know, what I'm doing is not in vain. And that is why I take the opportunity whenever I can. Yes, I will. I didn't have a voice for years. So now that I do, and it's not just for myself, now that I can, you know, let people understand that being a domestic abuse survivor is a big thing. It's a big thing to be able to be on the other side of it and then be able to tell your story. It's a big deal. Thank you, Emily. I appreciate you guys having me. This episode was brought to you by the fantastic education and prevention team at Women in Distress, a nonprofit certified domestic violence center in beautiful Broward County, Florida. Special thanks to Cher for talking with us about her story and for her advocacy. We are so proud of and grateful for your voice. Additional thanks to the amazing Madison It's Gonna Be Lit Klein from Women in Distress's development team, who brings positive and empowering energy to the work all day, every day. Stay in touch and subscribe for more episodes and perspectives. I'm your host, Emily Janice, and until next time, stay well, stay safe, and remember, violence is preventable. For everyone out there, please know that there is help if you or someone you know is experiencing dating violence, domestic abuse, or an unhealthy relationship. To talk to someone and get help, contact your local domestic violence hotline. If you're in Broward County, you can contact Women in Distress. Our crisis hotline is 954-761-1133. You can also contact the National Domestic Violence Hotline wherever you are at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233.